Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I am your host, Abby Rancor. Thank you for listening to our Bible podcast. episode. So this week, as the title suggests, we are going through numbers 12 through 36. So if you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are returning, thank you for returning. Um, but for the new people who are listening to the podcast, the we are reading through the Bible in a year. And I'm basically, I go through a section of the Bible for that week. I ask as many questions as I feel like need to be asked. Anything I'm confused about, I write down as a question as I'm reading. I then go research that question with Bible commentary and um, any sort of just online articles to answer that. And then I report back to you what I learned. So um, this week is Numbers 12 through 36. And I'm going to be honest, this was a tough week to get through of reading the Bible. Not going to lie. I honestly, like whenever I've read the Bible as a younger person, because I used to read the Bible through, I would say pretty regularly, or I would at least read the Bible often. I don't know what books I would necessarily read. I probably read mostly New Testament, but whenever I read the Bible when I was younger, I always had this idea in my mind that Leviticus was the hardest book to get through. And I think that was because one time I tried to read through it and I stopped at Leviticus and like jumped forward a few books because I was like, there is so much in here about animal sacrifices. This doesn't even apply anymore. Like, I'm just not going to really read it. And I think this is honestly the first time I've forced myself to actually read through the whole first five books of the Bible. Because Genesis is great. Genesis is like the creation story. And then there's a bunch of these stories that are really good. Noah's Ark is in there. Like, Genesis is great. But then, you know, you get to Leviticus. And I think that's where I've always just tapped out. Because I'm like, okay, there's a lot of rules. And then I end up going to like another book with what I thought was more stories, which I realize now, like there's just as many stories in Numbers and Leviticus. Like I thought Leviticus was a list of laws, but it's it's really not. It's, I mean, it is a list of rules and the fact that it lists out like the sacrifices that the Israelites had to make, but I, I don't think I ever made the connection this many years later or whatever, that the, the rules pertain specifically to the Israelites who were in the middle of a story of getting their way to the promised land. You know, I always heard about the promised land. You know, I actually thinking back on it, don't know how I was so naive about what the first like books of the Bible were. I feel like I've read them a couple times, but now that I think about it, I'm like, have I ever read Leviticus? Because honestly, the first half of Leviticus is tough. It's like definitely all sacrifices, but the second half is not. It's, it is a story. Like it's the first five books are truly like a continuous story. And so I've been so naive about what the first five books are. I was like, I never really knew all the stories about the Israelites escaping Egypt. I always heard like that they left Egypt. I always heard that they reached the promised land. I had no idea what happened in the middle. I mean, I guess I knew that Moses led them, but, um, yeah, other than that, I really didn't know much. I've heard bits and pieces of these stories for a long time, but it is really nice actually to piece these things together and say like, this is the entire story of the Israelites. This is why they celebrate all the holidays. This is why, you know, it it explains a lot about the faith, Christianity and Judaism. So, um, yeah, apparently I have never, I don't know if I've ever read numbers, honestly, other than in like from last week's, um, 
episode where number six is that ironic blessing it's called, which is the blessing that Aaron gave the people, which um, my dad says or used to say over me before I went to bed every night. The may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. He did a slightly different version, which is just leaving out a couple words essentially. But, um, yeah, so that's like maybe the only time I've read numbers. I'm, I don't know if I have just a really bad memory and I've, I don't retain the information in the first few books of the Bible or if I just have never read it, but all that to say, that was a very long tangent. I thought that Leviticus was going to be the hardest book to get through when I forced myself to read through it. And I'm not sure if it was like the week I've been having, which is very, very busy with moving. Um, or if it's just that numbers is actually very hard, but I felt like numbers was the hardest book because there were so many tribal names, like a lot of what Numbers is, is talking about the different tribes of Israel and the different leaders and names of people who went and explored the land and came back and the leaders of the land and all this stuff. So it was like, you have to kind of keep track of the different tribes as well as you have to keep track of like where they are, which it was odd. I had to look up a map, which I know is not going to help podcast uh, people, but I put a link to the maps in the show notes. So if you want to go look up where, where they went, it was actually really interesting and very helpful to see a physical outline of their path. Honestly, I should have done that way before I did because it would have helped as I was reading the other parts of the Bible. But Uh, I finally looked up the path and it's kind of an odd one. Like you can tell when God is like, yeah, you're just going to wander on the wilderness in punishment for your ancestors sin, because it seems like they go on like this, they, they do this weird loop. And I'm pretty sure that that is the 40 years where they like spend wandering the wilderness. Um, but anyway, I, Let's get into it. Numbers 12 through 36. Um, Let me know if you're following along, if you're reading along, which I don't know if anyone is except for my mom. Like, shout out to mom because I call her and she's like, oh, you know, she is reading along (laughs) with the Bible uh, with how I'm I'm trying to do it. So, um, hey, mom, let's go through numbers 12 through 36. Okay, so... Honestly, also, another side note before we get into it, I know I've stalled this like 12 times. I feel like numbers was kind of straightforward in the fact that I didn't have a lot of questions. Like the last um, the last episode I did, I felt like I had so many questions. There were like all these laws that were kind of controversial today. Tattoos, do we or do not, do we not get them? Mixing fabrics, like why would that be a thing? So there were like a lot of things that we had to kind of dive into to see if they were applicable today. I feel like numbers 12 through 36 is kind of very straightforward. And I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'll stumble upon some questions in this as I start talking and I'll have to take a break to go research or something. But definitely Leviticus is more like challenging as opposed to like with regards to what we should be doing today in regard to this old law. But numbers is a lot about just the storyline of Moses. Well, and the whole Israelites. Um, but it's, it's more about the storyline of how they are reaching the promised land. Okay. So in numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron start talking against Moses because Moses married a Cushite wife. Okay, so let's start with this, that Aaron, okay, both Moses and Aaron are very, very wise, and they are definitely the leaders of the Israelites. Now, Aaron, remember, is the leader of the Levites, who is a specific tribe within the Israelites. So Moses is leading the whole Israelites, and Aaron is leading the Levites, who are one of the 12 tribes. Okay, so Aaron, I mean, Miriam is Aaron's sister. Okay, 
And they start kind of, you know, conniving a bit. Maybe I shouldn't say conniving. They were talking. And they start talking against Moses because they say, oh, he married a Cushite wife. They're not one of us. And then, so what they start saying is, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? He's spoken through us too. Because she's a prophetess, which is a woman prophet. And he is also a prophet. I mean, Aaron performed many signs and miracles and stuff when God was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He used Aaron in a major role. So they say, has the Lord not spoken to us? And God heard this and told all three people to come out of the tent. So he summoned specifically Aaron and, and Miriam. So he, so he called all three of them out. Aaron, Miriam, and Moses, but then he specifically talked to Aaron and Miriam in the presence of Moses and said, most prophets I talk to in visions. I come to them in dreams or I have like, I talk to them indirectly, but with Moses, I speak face to face. Why have you basically talked against him? Why are you talking against his back? So God was mad and Miriam became leprous. So I'm not sure if I was distracted or what, but I I wanted to do kind of a deep dive on Miriam because I was like, who is she? I hadn't heard a ton about her before this. And again, maybe I was just sleeping on Miriam, the fact that she was kind of a main character. But basically, Miriam is a female prophetess. And this is what I wanted to talk about. So I know there's a whole thing today about women leading into church. And I think I'm going to do a whole podcast episode about it because it gets to be kind of a complicated topic because, you know, Paul in the New Testament says like, I think it was maybe Corinthians, but we'll get there eventually in the, in the Bible. But basically Paul talks about not having women lead or not having women teach in the church. Um, and maybe there's a distinction here because it struck me as odd because Miriam was a prophetess. It says that pretty clearly she was a prophet of God. And so in that sense, or in that case, um, a prophetess is talking to a lot of people. They are relaying what God has told you or what God has told her to many, many people, which you could view as, as teaching, like she could be a teacher. Um, but then a lot of people take what Paul said and say, well, women should never preach. So if you're a woman and you're reading the Bible, you will get the overwhelming sense that women should not preach. Um, if you want to follow Jesus, you should only submit. Um, and I mean, again, I'm going to do a whole episode on this because because I don't know how I feel about it yet. I've heard that, I don't know, people can twist the Bible. The, pro- the problem is people can twist the Bible into whatever they think, right? So I feel like I need to read the whole thing before I make a judgment on some of these, or at least, at least like I need to read the Old Testament and then like where they mention women teachers in the New Testament. Because, you know, there's all these like progressive Christians now saying that homosexuality is blessed by God because they, you know, I don't know. There's many reasons for it. But basically they interpret the Bible however they want in order to make themselves feel fine about whatever it is. So let's say, um, so they'll say, they'll take verses out of context, apply it to how they want the Bible to, you know, what they want the Bible to say. And then they'll be like, oh, yep, see, it's fine because um, I'm interpreting the Bible like this. This is what they truly meant. So I have heard people say that the, that the um, command by Paul to not let women teach in the church, I have heard that that was purely because the societies or the communities around them, women were worshipped because they were like pagans and women's 
or women's women were goddesses or like the they're basically like more important than men it was basically a matriarchal society around them and so paul said paul was saying that to not stand out and to not be like them um just with the communities surrounding them not necessarily that a woman could never teach but that in order to be set apart from the surrounding communities a woman shouldn't teach in that time now that sounds like a great justification for it if it's true however i've also heard a lot of preachers say that homosexuality is completely fine now and i just don't think that that's the case like i've heard their logic and i think they're skewing it in a way that doesn't make sense with what the bible actually says so I don't want to fall for that trap where I just think that women should be allowed to teach in the church. And then I read a verse that says the complete opposite. And then I somehow justify it as a cultural difference instead of a biblical difference. Now, I'm not saying women shouldn't teach in the church because I don't know yet. (laughs) Um, Frankly, like I, this was, um, this is a topic that was kind of, on the forefront of my mind as I was reading this week, because this was the first chapter that I read. I promise every chapter won't have this long of an explanation, but Numbers 12 was the first one I read and it talked about Miriam, who was a female prophetess, which means she directly heard from God and then taught like, well, she just told the people what God was saying to her. And that's good. But all of a sudden in the New Testament, you can't teach So maybe it is a cultural thing of the time because in the Old Testament, women could teach. Um, But then is the definition of teaching the same? Like is just literally relaying God's words, the equivalent of teaching and interpreting the Bible on your own and then teaching. So I don't know. Um, The harsh realization that I did come to this week in regards to all this is that I don't know what the, what my stance is on women teaching in the church. But what I do think is that it might be not what I like. I would like to think that women should be able to teach in the church. I do. I think like Sadie Robertson, uh, which by the way, I was talking to my friend Kinsey. We're like weirdly obsessed with Sadie Robertson. She like admitted it uh, this week. But also I was like, oh my gosh, me too. They just had a baby and the baby is very, very cute. I love Sadie Robertson. But the mix of those two things, I was looking on Instagram at Sadie Robertson, who is a preacher, who is a woman who preaches at a lot of churches that are Christian. And I'm looking at Miriam, who is a prophetess and talking to a lot of people about what God is saying to her. But then I'm looking at this verse that says that women cannot teach. And I don't know. I just think that the harsh reality is, is that Maybe women can relay what God says uh, and tell a large amount of people, but maybe not go off and interpret. I mean, I don't know. But the, the, the thing that I'm trying to say is that I've come to the realization that when I'm reading the Bible, I might not like what it says. <laughs> Which is weird. And, and like maybe I'm going to end up coming to the conclusion with a lot of facts and verses to back this up to say that maybe women can teach and it was just a cultural thing. But, I wanna, but what I want to be really careful about doing is just taking the Bible and fitting it to my culture or idea because I, I think that's really dangerous. Like... I don't want to ever do that. So I have come to the realization that I might not like what the Bible says, and I might have to change my ideas to what the Bible says, even if it's very, very culturally not accepted. Because what if the Bible was saying that women can't teach? Okay, let's say in my mind, uh, maybe not ideal, it's saying that women can't teach. Okay, what if it is saying that? If I have put my faith in the Bible, and this will come also with a lot of historical information about the Bible, 
the reason I haven't really put my faith in the seven books that Catholics use is because I, I'm not sure historically that they line up with what should be in the Bible. Okay, so, but the other 66 books, if I am confident that they belong in the Bible and that they are divinely inspired, they are what God said. So what if I don't like what God said? I have come to the harsh realization with maybe even if it's not this topic, it might be some other topic. Like I might not like in an area what the Bible says. Well, what am I going to do about it? I have to accept it because I think that this is truth. And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to run after a relationship with God. Right. And I was talking in my Bible study. It's like you can pretend that you are a Christian. You can be like, oh, I like God. I did this in college. I said, oh, okay, well, I have a ticket to eternal life because I believe in Jesus. I can do whatever I want now. And I think that the modern day church has swung, honestly, from being fire and brimstone when like, so, okay, let me give you a little bit of background about my Bible study. My Bible study is a bunch of like, it's a group of like older women who are all divorced or who are, you know, getting re or are remarried or um, in another relationship now. But it's all women like 20 to 30 years older than me, I would say. And they're amazing. I love my group. I actually really didn't think that I would like this group. And well, just because I was, I mean, I, they all seem nice, but I was the youngest by so, by so much. I shouldn't say so much. It makes it sound like they're so old. No, they're just, I'm just younger. So, but they were talking about how when they grew up in church, it was all about, you have sin, get rid of your sin, cleanse your sin, fire and brimstone. You're going to hell if you don't stop your sin, all that stuff. Now, I feel like in the modern church, it's swung so far the other way where it's, I mean, okay, part of this is valid and part of it maybe is not they say, come as you are, God will accept you as you are. Yes, 100%. I agree with that. That's great. However, there is no emphasis now in these modern day non-denominational churches about God changing your actions or your life. So like in college, I would, I, I mean, I knew all this. I had such a foundation in the word as a young person person because of my family that I I know that's what got me out of the funk I was in in college. But basically I pretended for a while to be like, Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. When I was not, I was not living like it. I was not being changed. I was not being, um, I wouldn't say I wasn't actually being quickened because I, I actually was every time I did something wrong. I had the knowledge and I had the quickening in my spirit that it was wrong. I just ignored it to the fact that it didn't really bother me anymore. Like the first couple times I did something wrong. Like I, you know, what, whatever, I'm not going to go into the specifics on this podcast, but whenever I did something wrong, I was like, I had this quickening in my spirit, but it was very strong the first couple times. But then as I kept going and going and going and doing the same exact things, it dulled. It was like a dulled sense of conviction in me to the point where I just didn't really care until my graduation day where I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I don't like who you are. (laughs) I don't like who I've become in the midst of college. So I had to change my life around. But the modern day church has the correct come as you are message, but not really the correct. God is going to radically change your life. And if you're pursuing him, there are going to be some changes in your life. You can't just go on sinning like this. It's not your license to sin. God, if you're truly pursuing a relationship with him will change you. And that's what I was missing in college. I was like, Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven but I didn't actually have a relationship with God at that point. So I wasn't being refined. I was deteriorating and getting closer to the enemy than I was to God. Anyway, I don't know how I got here after just one chapter of numbers 12, but anyway, um, Miriam, female prophetess, she taught a lot of people. Um, yeah. So then after that, uh, when Miriam became leopardess or leprous, 
Aaron apologized to Moses and Miriam was supposed to camp was supposed to be outside the camp for seven days because of the leprosy. That was one of the r- rules in Leviticus about like the defiling skin disease. But then Moses forgave her and asked God to heal her and she eventually got healed. Okay, in Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses to send some people to explore the land of Canaan, which he is giving the Israelites. He sent them out to explore. It was one person from each tribe and said, bring back the fruits of the land. So they brought back a cluster of grapes, pomegranates, and figs. So like we've been hearing this whole kind of first part of the Bible, this land is flowing with milk and honey. And they came back, these spies, and said, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is amazing. Um, But the people are very, very strong. Like they have fortified cities. We'll never get this land because they are so strong. We can never fight them. Um, And more on that in a minute. But in this section of the Bible, it says that the Nephilim lived there, which I think I'm pronouncing that right. But basically the Nephilim are like giants. They're very, very tall people. And there's, it's very mysterious what these people are in the Bible. So they're a group of beings that are unusually large in size and strength is a definition I saw. Um, They are referred to before and after the flood and sometimes are referred to as the sons of God. So there's two explanations here. The first is that it's more of a spiritual sort of explanation where um, something that fallen angels actually produced children with humans, which is the theory that I always heard. I heard that Nephilim were half angels and half humans. Um, But some people think that that is like theologically problematic to say that a spiritual being could uh, reproduce with a physical being i guess maybe although that's what god did with jesus but maybe that's reserved for god i don't know um if you think that angels could have the same thing as god did with like mary uh, i guess it's not too far off but it seems weirder um then the more non-spiritual explanations say that it was the uh descendants of seth who were the sons of Adam, but they were rejected from Seth's bloodline. Um, so they were just the, the people who fell away from righteousness and they were kind of like deformed. So it's confusing what they are. There's multiple explanations, but we, we don't really know. They're, they're just very large people. Um, so in numbers 14, all of the like members of the assembly, who's like all the Israelites, wept aloud. And again, oh my gosh, I've talked about this like 10 times, but the Israelites just continuously talk about going back to Egypt, but they do it again. And they say, if only we had died in Egypt, let's choose a different leader. So they try to like throw a coup on Moses. Um, but Aaron, Moses, and two of the people who explored the land, um, who were the only ones that came back and didn't spread a negative report about the very large people in the fortified cities. They said, do not turn your back on God. He will give you the land. They wanted to stone these like Aaron, Moses and the two uh, spies on the land or the two explorers. And God finally says, how long will these people not respect me? I'm going to strike down a plague. Moses tries to intercede and says the Lord is the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving in sin and rebellion. So already in the Old Testament, I know it can seem harsh, like God is super, super harsh, but we already see Moses describing him as slow to anger and abounding in love. And I feel like Moses was the one that knew this the best because he was like face to face with with God or you know, he was the one that just talked to him like a friend, essentially. Um, so he would have known him best. And he said he was abounding in love and forgiving in sin. He asked him to forgive those people. And he says, I have forgiven them as you asked. Um, but he still says, no one who has treated me with contempt will see the land that I promised. So he like he forgives them, but then all the people who, well, I guess he forgives. I don't know. This one's confusing. 
so he forgives them. He doesn't immediately strike them down or anything. Um, he, like, oh, he doesn't send a, a plague. But he says, everyone 20 years or older who has grumbled against me will fill, will just wander around the wilderness and will not see the promised land. Um, the only people who were struck by a plague were the people who came back and spread a bad report. So the other 10 um, explorers, other than the two that were, uh, that did not spread the bad report, which was Joshua and Caleb, they survived, but all the other ones were struck down. So then the Israelites said, surely we have sinned. Let's go actually up to the land uh, that you promised us and we'll see it. And Moses said, why are you doing this? This will fail. The Lord is not with you. So the Israelites, it seems like they can do nothing right. They grumble about it. Then they like weep at this bad report. Then once they say, well, once they are told that they have to wander around the wilderness, they're like, actually we did a wrong thing. Let's go up and see the land. But they're deviating from God when they're doing this. The Israelites in this time are only traveling when God is leading them in like the cloud or the fire pillar. So when the cloud is on the tabernacle, they do not travel. And when it's like, you know, like leading them, they do. When the cloud is off the tabernacle, they, they go travel. But now they're like, let's go and travel and see the land, even though God didn't ordain this travel. So they're just doing all sorts of things wrong. But even though Moses said that, those that group of Israelites decided to go on their own, go to see the land. They got attacked immediately and then got like basically fought back until like they got pushed back really far. So the uh, planned mission did not go very well. Okay, Numbers 15 um, is a lot of instructions on specific offerings after getting to the promised land. It also mentions the tassels on garments. Jewish people still do this today. They have tassels on their garments to um, remember the blessings of God. In number 16, there were three people who um, became insolent, it says. Korah, Dathan, and Ibrim. The names and numbers are very hard. But basically they said, why do you guys set yourselves above the whole assembly. Um, so people took their censers and uh, put burning coals and they burned these incense to the Lord. And he was going to choose one person to come near him. So apparently these were all, these, all three of these people were a part of the Levites. And so God says, or Moses said, isn't it enough for you Levites that he has set you apart from the rest? Um, now you're trying to get the priesthood too. So the, the Levites now, who are God's chosen of the chosen people, are now kind of starting to revolt. So Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, and uh, those two said, you brought us out of the land of milk and honey to die in the wilderness, which is kind of salt in the wounds because they're, the promise of the Lord has always been to bring them to the land of milk and honey. And they're calling Egypt, where they came out of, as slaves, the land of milk and honey. Which is just kind of insulting, honestly. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's just, the Israelites will not get any more ridiculous. But, you know, we do the same thing today. Like, God will show us himself a thousand times and we'll still turn away sometimes. So, I get it, but it's still frustrating to read about. Um, so, Moses told God to not accept their offering. And I love how Moses and God are, like, best friends here. He he talks to, Moses talks to Dathan and Abram, and he goes, and they say, oh, like, you brought us out of the land of milk and honey to die. And Moses gets so angry. He's like, oh, God, don't accept their offering. <laughs> and I love it. It's like their best friend. But it is. I mean, God even said, like, I talk to Moses face to face. Like, I usually talk to prophets in dreams. So he's special. Um, okay, so then the assembly put out their incense. And, the, and God... And Korah, who was like the third person that was mentioned, gathered all of these followers in opposition to this. So 
God got angry and told Moses and Aaron to separate themselves because he's going to destroy everyone. He's going to destroy the whole assembly, which is, I think, all the Levites at this point. Moses and Aaron cried out to not destroy them um, just because of one man and how one man was bad. So basically they said to everyone to move away from those three people, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they got swallowed by the earth. Like they're their whole like tent. So it was like them, their wives and their kids all got swallowed by the earth. Fire came and consumed 250 men who were offering incense because they were wicked. Uh, people still after this sign grumbled and complained against God and said, and that's when the plague started. Um, but Aaron ran out with incense and stopped the plague. But like 15,000 people almost had died already. Because they see all these signs and wonders and they still grumble. And that's why, like, God wasn't going to send the plague. Then all this happened. They still disobey and still don't listen. And then God sends a plague. So, number 17, God spoke to Moses to get a staff from each tribe. Um, they would place it at the altar. And then one of them would sprout, like, the chosen tribe would sprout because everyone's starting to grumble against the Levites. Remember, Aaron is the leader of the Levites, and his staff ended up sprouting. Um, in Numbers 18, Aaron and his sons uh, will bear responsibility for the trans- for all transgressions surrounding priesthood in the tabernacle. So basically, they're responsible for the sins of all the Levites. Um, and there's a lot of specifics about priest responsibilities. Um, okay, Numbers 19, there's an a rule about a red heifer being slaughtered and then using those ashes to pure, like to mix into water, to be like purifying water because there's a sacrifice. And then you would sprinkle that water with the sacrifice mixed in as purifying water. Okay. Numbers 20. Um, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water. This is actually a very, very significant verse for later in in the Bible and chapters and everything. So there was no water. Everyone starts complaining that there's no water. God told Moses. So Aaron and Moses came and said, like basically prayed for water to God. And God said to speak to the rock, speak to a rock and then water will flow out. But Moses got so angry talking to the assembly about the water that he struck the rock and he disobeyed God. So yeah, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock, but it was because he was so angry at the people and he didn't really trust that God had would deliver on his promise. That's why he struck the rock. Because if you remember back in, I think it was Exodus, one of the signs that they performed, Moses and Aaron, was to strike a rock and water came out. I'm pretty sure that was Exodus. Um, But they struck the rock and water came out. But God had told them to strike the rock. He didn't just say speak to the rock. So the commentary on this was that he kind of reverted to something that had already worked because he didn't have enough trust in God to say that this new way worked. And so God says, because you did not trust me, I will not let you see the Holy Land. You will not see the Holy Land uh, or the promised land um, because of this. You did not trust me. So there's a lot of Bible commentary about this, about like, it's symbolic that, you know, there's a lot of symbolism in the Old Testament, but they say basically like the first striking of the rock was symbolic of Christ dying. And so Moses not speaking to the rock, which maybe symbolized his resurrection or something. Um, He struck the rock again, which symbolized like a second death, which is why this was such a harsh punishment. But Essentially, he said that Aaron is going to, like, both of you will not see the promised land. Um, it says, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And the interesting part about this is that he, Moses or Aaron never protest their punishment. They're always like, okay, like, yeah, I did that. And God doesn't give up on them leading the Israelites. They lead them up until their death. So it's a weird mix of like forgiving, but also, I mean, they're not going to see the promised land, which they've led the people out, you know, in the hopes of for a long time. 
Um, but anyway, so Moses then sends an, a message to Edom to try to pass through that country on their journey. Uh, Edom says no, and but God had already said that that wouldn't work. Like he already said, like, you're going to not be able to pass through this, but Moses sent a message anyway. So um, then they're on uh, Mount Hor, which is H-O-R, Mount H-O-R. Um, basically, this part says that Aaron will be gathered to his people to take him up there and Moses or and Aaron will die. And he did. Um, they put Aaron's garments on Eleazar, who is then Aaron's kind of a successor. So the Israelites mourned for 30 days for him, for Aaron, once he died. And like we talked about, I don't even know when in the Bible, but um, I'm not very good at references. But basically, 30 days of mourning means that he was very, very important. He's a very important person. The length of mourning uh, determines how important they were. And one of the most important people gets 30 days. So he was very important. Okay, Numbers 21. Um, Canaan attacked the Israelites. Uh, Israel prayed and the Israelites destroyed them. Then, uh, they went the long way around. God sent snakes on their journey. Um, the Lord, basically then the Lord made a bronze snake or told someone to make a bronze snake. And if they look at the bronze snake, even if they get bit by a real snake, they will live. Um, then there's a lot of very historical stuff about exactly where they camped. I didn't really honestly care about it that much, but it would be cool to be a historian to go actually care and look at like the exact places they camped. I did look at a map, which again, I will link below. And that's all about, that's about all the depth I went into about where they camped. Um, then they had a couple battles and they are expanding their land. So they won a few different battles against like three different people and they won and they're expanding the land. In Numbers 22, uh, Balak said, who was the king of, huh, who was he? So Balak was the king of Moab and Balak actually, well, there were a lot of names in this chapter. So I, I, skipped a lot of that, but basically Balak called Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites. And he summoned, uh, Balaam to, uh, Balak and Balaam tried to go, but Balaam's donkey actually saw an angel in the road and would not pass. And Balaam beat the donkey three times. And then the angel said, why have you beat this donkey? Blah, 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 revealed himself. The donkey talked to Balaam. He realized his mistakes. He said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you in the road. Um, but anyway, he said, okay, you can only go to Balak if you say exactly what God says. And so Balaam goes to Balak, but puts a precursor on whatever he's doing as, I can only do what the Lord does. I cannot speak on my own. I'm only saying what the Lord says. So then Numbers 23 through 24, there are a series of seven messages where it says that basically uh, Balaam blesses God. So, uh, sorry, not Balaam. So where Balaam blesses the Israelites. Balak called Balaam to curse them, but Balaam can only follow what God says and God says to bless them. He also then has like in the series of seven, the last like, four are basically are the last four are like who the Israelites are going to take over and destroy. Um, so yeah, basically he says that they're going to expand the land. They're going to beat all these people and destroy them and that you cannot curse them. In number 25, Israeli men begin to have immoral sex with Moabites and it wasn't just that the fact that they had immoral sex with Moabites, they actually invited these women, invited them to sacrifice and worship Baal, the God. Um, so God put a plague on them. Um, and God told the Israelites to kill the Midianites who were the ones that deceived them into worshiping Baal. 
Uh, in Numbers 26, a second census was taken. I thought it was interesting that the serving age of the army was 20. Like, I feel like if we follow all the cultural rules now, well, like the age rules or something, uh, it would work well. Like, 20 seems like a good age <laughs> um, instead of 18. Um, number 27. So, three. Okay, in Numbers 27, there was a story where three daughters, um, there were three daughters, and their father was killed, and they have no brothers. Their dad died in the wilderness when the land swallowed up those three like wicked people. And so their inheritance was going to go to someone else, like, you know, outside of the Israelites. They said, give us the inheritance um, and, and place us near our father's relatives so we don't lose the land inheritance, um, which God says, yes, they're right. Go give them that land. Joshua was then chosen to succeed Moses. And Moses knew as soon as he went up on this mountain that he was going to die. Now, this happens like kind of far in the future, but Moses knew he was going to die on this mountain. Numbers 28 and 29 just reiterates uh, offerings and festival once Moses is on, is like up on this mountain. Numbers 30 talks about making an oath or a vow and not breaking the, his, your word. Um, and then the end of this chapter talks about, actually it's kind of the majority of this chapter, but it talks about how if a woman has made a vow and her husband or father who they're living in the same house with, um, objects to the vow, they can like essentially break it and make it no longer binding, which talks about the structure of men and women in the home. Um, and this is again, another thing where I'm like, you know, what if I read the Bible and I don't like what it says? <laughs> because I would like to be responsible for my own vows. However, maybe that's not how God actually intends it. We're going to have to like wait until the new Testament, honestly, um, for that one. And that's an, that's an ongoing question I have. Numbers 31 says that Moses is going to take vengeance on the Midianites. And then after that, Moses is going to die he sends a thousand men from each tribe and kills everyone, including the five kings. But Moses is still angry that they allowed the women to live. Basically, they killed all the men when they took vengeance on the Midianites, but they allowed the women to live. And the women were the ones that tricked the Israelite men into worshiping the false god. So Moses is mad that they let the um, women live. So he actually uh, orders to kill all the boys and every non-virgin and to save yourselves uh, every girl who has never slept with a man. So every virgin they don't kill, every non-virgin or boy they kill. So, I mean, this is one of the, definitely the more gruesome parts of the Bible. <clears throat> um, okay, we're nearing the end here. Numbers 33, there is the stages of the journey to the promised land. They It's like a recap of all of the parts of the journey up until now god said to moses when you cross the jordan into canaan drive out all the inhabitants and destroy any idols so in numbers 34 god basically outlines what the boundary of the promised land is it's very specific and i looked up a map of the modern day israel to the map of the land that god said and it is very similar i guess i assume that because you know it's a very specific spot of land to choose for israel but yeah, it's very similar. So I thought that was cool. Um, numbers 35, Levites get special towns apart from the other ones because they're the chosen of the chosen people. Um, six of the cities are towns of refuge. I thought this was interesting. A person who has killed someone can flee there so they won't die before, tri before they get a trial in front of the assembly. But if they leave the city of refuge and like the person who's avenging the death of the person killed sees the murderer there they can kill that person with like no uh repercussions so it was a very interesting concept about this like city of refuge now it still didn't mean that you were just off scotch-free you still needed a trial but it just meant no one could murder you before the trial um and then numbers 36 the same daughters who whose dad died in the wilderness who wanted to have the specific land talked about um, how if they married a non-Israelite, the inheritance, their inheritance, which is land that they would get, 
would then belong to their husbands and the land would be taken out of Israel's inheritance. So women who do not, let's see, women with no um, brothers or, yeah, I guess no brothers, cannot marry a non-Israelite because their inheritance, uh, the way that it worked then was that the husband got the land any land that the women inherited. And so it would take, it would give Israelites, the Israelites land to another tribe. So, uh, women with no brothers had to marry within the Israelites. So that is numbers 36. That's the rest of the book of numbers. I know I went on a very long tangent in the beginning, but I think it's this book, I didn't have a lot of questions, like logistical questions other than who Miriam was and who the Nephilim were, but it did bring up a lot of good, like long-term questions about what if the Bible says something that I don't like? That was the main theme of this week's Bible reading for me, even though nowhere does it say that. It's just like, there were some things that challenged me and I don't know how I feel about them. So Um, we will explore those topics as we continue to go, but, and read through the Bible, but, um, I am about to go to Hawaii, but that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining. Um, please say some prayers for the quick sale of our condo. We are going live on the market tomorrow and we are very much hoping for a quick sale. So um, have a great week, everyone, or weekend until I talk to you on Monday. And thank you all for listening so much. Talk to you later. Bye. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. And I would really appreciate if you would go rate and review this podcast on the Apple store. That is going to be how we continue to grow our millennial learns family and community. So come back every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for a new episode and DM me any questions on Instagram. It's at a millennial learns. Go check me out. Follow me, DM me questions you have about this episode or any future topics you would like to see me dive into. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I will see you Monday.